Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? We are back, back today to talk a little bit more about behavior, but mm, the last episode I spoke about really emotional um, parts of what's going on in the brain and why fear and belonging impact our ability to be logical and rational. We went into the nervous system and then some things to do to reset your nervous system. Today, we're going to take a little bit of a shift away from that, but very connected to that. We're going to talk about the emotional brain parts and then how do we grow certain parts of those those brain areas and how do we heal our functioning or function more optimally. So let's jump in and talk about what I feel like are the three main parts of the the brain system that are worth knowing and also worth teaching to children. So let's talk about the youngest first. So if you touch your forehead, the front of your brain is the prefrontal cortex. We call it the wise owl because it's in charge of like higher order emotions, thinking, logic, rationality, problem solving. It was the last part of your brain to develop. It's why we have a bigger prefrontal cortex than most other animals, mammals, and why we are the smartest of, or supposedly the smartest of all the the mammals. The next part, if you go from your forehead into kind of the central part of your brain, like not down by your neck, but like truly like in the central part of your head is the limbic area. The limbic area is the emotional control center. It houses a couple big, players like your amygdala or amygdalae and your hippocampus or hippocampi. So these are, these are parts of your limbic system. I know I'm kind of speaking in another language here, but your limbic system has these parts in it. And these parts are in charge of emotional regulation. And this limbic area acts as like a um alert system a threat detection system so when sensory information comes into the brain the limbic system is like yes that's safe or no it's not and if it's not safe it recruits other parts of the brain to help it get to neutral because the goal of that part of the brain is like neutralize get safe neutralize get safe why and and what happens when we are safe and we do neutralize then you can access the youngest part of the brain that prefrontal cortex thinking, logic, rationality. So if your emotional control center, your limbic system is activated, that guy is driving. And when that guy is driving, you can't also have the prefrontal cortex driving, meaning you can't access your logic and reason and rationality when you're too emotionally elevated. 
we have to first get the emotional parts of the brain, limbic system neutralized. Then we can switch gears, switch drivers, and the prefrontal cortex can take the lead. The last part of the brain, the oldest, one of the first developed survival-based is the brainstem. And the brainstem is what is recruited by the limbic system when something is is not safe and we enter into like a very emotional or fear-based state. And the brainstem gathers, you know, all other parts of the body, like, you know, your functioning and your physiological pieces, your <laughs> digestion and your heart rate and body temperature and all these things. Your brainstem is connected to all of those. So the brainstem is kind of that like fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Like, what do I do to respond here to save myself? What, what do I need to turn on and off in the body to survive and get back neutral? So those are your basically your three parts of your brain. The limbic area, that emotional control center, a term often used for this is like, we say like a barking dog because it is a like a guard dog and it tells you when threat is near. So there's a really good video out by Georgetown University, and they took the work of Dan Siegel, and Dan Siegel has this like upstairs brain, downstairs brain, and Georgetown took it, and they they are the ones that gave the name the uh, wise owl and the barking dog to that prefrontal cortex and that limbic system. So basically what they do, and there's a great video on this, which we'll link in the show notes, and I have some blogs and podcasts on this as well. You take your hand. You take your thumb across your palm and you wrap your four fingers around your thumb. And it makes kind of like a, a fist with your, your thumb inside of your fingers. And the four fingers on top, if you wave them, they're kind of like the wing of, a, of an owl. So the four fingers on the top, they represent your prefrontal cortex and they are the wise owl. The thumb underneath, the thumb is like the barking dog. So if you take your thumb and you wiggle your thumb like in and out, it's kind of like a, a hyperactive barking dog. That's your limbic area. So what happens here is when something comes into the brain, the body sensory system, and it feels threatened, the dog, your thumb, the limbic system will bark. And when that dog is barking, naturally, it kind of kicks the wise owl or the four fingers on top, the prefrontal cortex kind of kicks it off. And we use our fingers to show it's flying away meaning we can't access it while the dog is barking. We have to first calm down the barking dog. Once the dog stops barking, that wise hour, those four fingers or your logic and rationality, your prefrontal cortex can come back and rest on top of the barking dog and you can be safe and you can think rationally and logically. It's a good way to show children how their brain works and how to show them how they can begin to regulate. Your dog is barking. We need to calm your barking dog. Your wise owl is gone. We need to have your wise owl come back. So in knowing that this is how the brain and body works in terms of like stress and triggers, we have to change the threat detection system. And there are two ways to do this. One, we want to work on things to do to calm the barking dog. We want to work on the limbic area, but we also simultaneously want to work on that prefrontal cortex. Because if we can train the prefrontal cortex and the wise out, it becomes stronger it's more likely to kind of override the barking dog and prevent it from, from barking. It's more likely to be able to control your thoughts and your responses and your actions. So let's talk about uh, the prefrontal cortex. You would say that's on top. So that's a top-down approach. 
the barking dog or the limbic system is more close to the bottom of your hand and the bottom of the brain. So we call that bottom up approach. Bottom up is a little bit more reactive and the top down is a little bit more preventative. So what are some things that we could do to work on both? Executive functioning is where I want to kind of go with this. We will talk about what to do to calm the limbic system, the barking dog another time, but I want to focus a little bit more on the preventative side of things and addressing the prefrontal cortex. What are some things that we can do to keep the wise owl there and keep the dog from barking? And that's where executive functioning comes into play. So it's a very sophisticated system and it often comes into play unconsciously, but it is really important. And if we can grow it to become stronger, then there are a lot of benefits to our whole body system and it engages and um, responds better overall. So let's talk about what some of those things are. Things that improve, strengthen, or grow, executive functioning skills, prefrontal cortex, wise owl. Think about any game where you'd have to stop and think before acting. So there are lots of board games like Don't Break the Ice, Kerplunk, Jenga, Twister, and some of those may not necessarily be board games, but they're games. But even games like for young kids, Simon Says, Follow the Leader, Freeze Dance, Musical Chair. If you don't stop and think before you act when you're playing these games, you lose. You pull the wrong block in Jenga because you're a little bit impulsive, tower crumbles. You hit the wrong ice block, tower crumbles. Chess is a great one. Simon says, you don't listen to what Simon says, you're out. You don't follow the leader, you're out. You don't wait for the music to stop and listen carefully, you're out. You don't plan ahead and um, respond quickly, musical chairs, you're out. So any of these things work on slowing down the thinking, pausing, stopping, and thinking before we act. That improves the executive functioning skills. I also really love this idea of like buddy partner reading. So you can do this <laughs> with children where you pair them up and they take turns being the reader and the listener. And if it's really young kids, cause I've done this as young as like kids are like four, the listening person, you might even give them like a, a drawing of an ear or like a, a potato head ear because that reminds them to listen and not to speak. So here's where this comes into play. One person is reading and, and they're, even if they can't read, they, they are like telling the, the pictures of the story. They're speaking. And that person is accessing, accessing logic and, and reason and rationality because they are looking at the images and they're composing words and they're composing logical thoughts and they're speaking them out. Higher order thinking or a young kid. The listener also has to try really hard not to interrupt, but to truly hear and listen, which is why the physical object of the ear can be helpful to remind them to listen and not speak. Both systems kind of working together, both students improving their executive functioning. Another one that I really love is balance because balance is focused attention and concentration. So they could walk on like a balance beam. They could walk on a log. They could walk on a line that you tape down with like painter's tape, masking tape, whatever type of tape on a flat floor. And this really has them focus on the like one thing in front of them, walk with one foot in front of the other. It requires them to go slow and kind of 
move slowly and kind of strategically place their feet and also like work on both sides of their body coming kind of into flow with one another. You can also, for older kids, challenge them to walk on something that they need to balance on with something on their head or something else they need to balance, like an egg on a spoon. You could also have them with like maybe um, walking with like a, a bell. And if they walk really slow and really like methodically and rhythmically, the bell won't ding. If they're walking on the line or the balance beam or whatever with the bell and it does ding, they're moving too fast. So really another way to, to slow things down. Storytelling, uh, even like storytelling and then like retelling the story or a retelling activity, but storytelling and story listening is a really great mindfulness activity. It's really great for the working memory, all the details that make the story come to life, whether it's a story you make up or your story that you read, like an oral story that you read from a, a book or a text or something, not necessarily like a children's storybook, but like storytelling, like the art of storytelling. And if you're reading a story, it's it's a story written that's told by someone else. So a little bit different than like children's storybooks, which have benefits too. But this art of storytelling, best if just made up story is told with no text in front of you. But this sustained attention that is required by the listener to keep their attention and, and stay focused without the visual aids is what really helps to improve executive functioning. Also, there are some things that we would consider like cognitive flexibility, like things that help improve cognitive flexibility, which is a part of, you know, your executive functioning skills. So like you could challenge them, show them two objects and find the commonalities between the objects. So how is a carrot like a cucumber? How is a carrot like an orange? How is a carrot like a potato? And getting them to think more like logically uh, about these commonalities that helps to grow prefrontal cortex, executive functioning, cognitive flexibility. Also like out of the box games, like thinking out of the box. So coming up with creative or unusual ways to use everyday objects. Like we might eat at a table, but what else could you use a table for? We could turn it into a fort. We could turn it into a drum. We can cut it up and use our firewood. Thinking of different ways to use an everyday object. Improv helps too. Like, um, going through improv prompts, skits, classes, all of those things work on cognitive flexibility, thinking quickly, thinking fast, um, improve your executive functioning. And then just a few more I'm going to list here. Sports are really good. Again, you have to think fast, typically. The arts, music, dance, theater, martial arts, really work on kind of self-control, discipline, uh, wilderness survival, woodworking, because it's really unforgiving, cooking, caring for animals, all those things help improve executive functioning and help us to become more grounded and think more logically and rationally. So you can also do a quick Google search, like what are things that help executive functioning? What grows executive functioning? What can I do as an adult to improve my executive functioning? That list is just a few things based on research. It is not an all-encompassing list, but there are so many more things that you could do. Again, anything that requires you to stop and think before you act. And that takes us to today's listener question, which is what do we do with students who are dealing with behaviors, but they don't understand their behaviors because they are way too young. The first thing I do with super young kids, I'm doing this with my 15 month old. I'm teaching him emotional regulation. 
So I am exposing him to books, to visuals, to games, to toys that have different emotional like faces or uh, that display different emotions. So we can begin to learn like, this is happy, this is sad. And beyond just the eight, like normal, happy, sad, angry, we go into some different things as well. Like we're, we, I'm, I'm focusing a little bit more on those right now because he's so young, but as he hits two and three, we'll go into the like hierarchy of emotions. So go, you beyond, you go beyond sad into insert um, grief and, and what's beyond grief or what's between sadness and grief. You have feelings of like frustration to anger to like rage. So what are all of these like scales of emotion? So I'll do that through books. I'll do that through games. I'll do that through toys and activities that have emotions embedded. But more importantly, I model. I model for students what's okay and what's not okay, how it makes me feel. So for example, to go again back to my 15 month old, he's starting to kind of hit and pinch and grab hair and do unpleasant things when he is upset, when he doesn't get something he wants, when he's tired. To teach him that that is not okay, I say, ouch, I don't like that. And I put him down and I put him down and I turn my whole body away from him because what he is learning in that moment is one, ouch, the word ouch, that hurts. He's hearing that I don't like it and he's seeing and feeling that I don't like it because I'm taking all of my physical energy away from him. And when he stops doing those things, then I return, I pick him up, I cuddle him, I love him, and I show him that those things make me happy. And I say, that makes me happy. That makes me feel good. So I am not only modeling, calming down when I'm upset, I am teaching him empathy by stating how it makes me feel and, and taking an action which is putting him down and turning away from him to show him kind of some coldness to say, when you do that type of behavior, it makes me do this and it doesn't feel good for either of us. So you can begin to teach really young kids emotional regulation skills kind of explicitly, but also by modeling things as well. To wrap up our show, I'm going to share with you our try to home tip, which is creating some empty space in your calendar, in your days, in your weekends. This weekend was the first weekend I have taken an empty weekend with my child in a long time. So I had nothing on my calendar and I rarely ever do that. And not only had nothing on my calendar, but I didn't really have a plan for us to go anywhere or do anything. So we spent the morning kind of walking around. There was a half marathon going on. We, we just watched the runners finish the marathon. We went for a bike ride. We played in the sand at the park. We played in the water table. We made lunch. Like we, we had no agenda and we just fluidly, seamlessly flowed through the day and did a similar thing on Sunday. And the result of that was waking up Monday morning feeling just more rejuvenated, revived. And I think, I think, I know when you plan some empty space in your days or empty days in your week or empty weekends in your month, that space where there's unplanned for time, where you don't have an agenda or anything to really do, it just lets your whole body come down and it lets your kids' bodies come down. And it's a really impactful, positive thing that you kind of have to be a little bit intentional about if you're a person like me who has a bazillion things going on and likes to move really fast. You have to get comfortable with the stillness and the slowness. And that's it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Don't forget, try it at home tip. This is important. Empty days, empty weekends, empty space in your calendar. 
If you are looking for more support in the areas of stress, trauma, behavior, the brain, the behavior hub, myself, I would love to talk to you about coaching or familial support or program support. And there's also university credit from the University of Pennsylvania if you want to take some of the courses we offer. If you're looking for more support, maybe like organizationally or for your staff or like company wide, the place to go is Five Ives, F-I-V-E-I-V-E-S. My partner and I, Jessica Doring, and we put together an entire trauma-informed neuroscience-based, human biology-based program that we work with coaching and training organizations to kind of neutralize nervous systems, to manage stress, to prevent burnout, so that students, students, so that adults, staff, people can be happier, they can be healthier, they can function better, they don't quit their jobs, and they are more productive. And it changes your overall and entire company culture. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thank you for joining me. Thank you.